0: It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David. So last week, we came in happy as could be. There was a budget deal. They were going to the governor. Everybody is ready to celebrate a budget.
0: So much optimism from legislators and staff. Us. Us.
1: Yep. Past us. So optimistic.
0: So we're recording on Thursday afternoon. Seems like yesterday there was a cloud over the General Assembly. Talking to other lobbyists. Talking to legislators. All that optimism. No more.
1: Yeah. Kind of fluttered.
0: So the rumor is, of course, this is all being... You know, behind closed doors, private documents, embargo documents. The rumor around the building is that the governor has sent back a counter proposal to the General Assembly as it pertains to this twenty-five point seven billion dollars, and he is asking for an additional three billion dollars. I don't know if that that's in appropriations that he wants or they're factoring in maybe he wants some of those tax cuts to come off the table.
1: I think at the end of last week we were hearing from staffers, folks who are in the room saying, I think in a couple of weeks we'll have a budget. We're looking at like a two-week timeline. Like this week there would be some negotiations and next week we would have a budget on the floor of both chambers. That's just not looking like it's going to be the case at this point. We did see a little action today that makes it seem like Plan B could be in effect as well.
0: Yeah, a lot of movement coming out of the corner offices, specifically on the House side. We saw some Democrats must have been huddled up with the Speaker. I assume they're talking budget. Backing up to Tuesday, Don Vaughn at the News and Observer tweeted out some video footage of what looked like an impromptu press conference i don't know what it was but governor cooper was out what looked to be bicentennial mall i'm not sure where he was but he said the two words that kind of sent a sense of dread through the general assembly those words are medicaid Medicaid expansion. expansion yeah so i just don't see that as a really a a viable negotiating point. We have heard in some media reports that Senator Berger is open to talking about some form of health care expansion, but the words Medicaid expansion are really fighting words, it seems.
1: So I see your point here, but I do think that because there have been so many people, and including people in leadership on the senate side who've said he's open to that but what open to it means is up for interpretation i would say and it's important to remember that there were those little jumps in the house and the senate budget like expanding medicaid for women who have just had a child and making that a longer period i think up to a year and so that is an expansion of a medicaid program is that medicaid expansion no but it is an expansion
0: senator heiss has always said he's willing to talk about those with disabilities he's willing to expand it there i think the sticking point is working north carolinians essentially the state being the health care provider for those low-income jobs this week we saw a viral video that came out of North Carolina one of our state house members who recently announced he's running for Congress
1: Representative Charles Graham did his initial campaign announcement video and it was very well done and very well received on Twitter social media I saw that it had over 5 million views as of this morning and I saw that there were celebrities
0: Representative Graham is a conservative Democrat in the General Assembly, particularly on some social issues, HB2 being one of them. That's the bathroom bill. He's been a conservative vote on some abortion bills, and he has voted for the budget. Representative Graham is a Lumbee Indian. Uh, he his district is down in Robertson County. He's a former educator, a very, very nice guy. I have always enjoyed working with him and talking with him. And he announced this year that he wants to challenge Congressman Dan Bishop, who also used to serve in the House, who is now the congressman for the ninth district. This ad was so powerful. And in fact, it has a history lesson in it that I didn't know. It's the story of the Battle of Hayes Pond, where a group of Klansmen uh, went down to try to intimidate the Lumbee Indians and black North Carolinians that lived down there. And Representative Graham tells the story. He, he narrates the video of how they shut down the Klan. Powerful story. Encourage you to watch the video and to learn more about Hayes Pond. But we saw something you don't really see a lot at the General Assembly. We heard an apology this week.
1: He said that he was wrong to vote for House Bill 2 and has since changed his opinion on it.
0: He said it was a 24-hour bill. He didn't have time to really review it and talk to other folks. That's debatable. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. If there is a Democratic primary, I'm sure we will see this issue come up. But right now... This ad is has really sent a shot uh, across the country.
1: With that vote, I mean, we've heard from other folks in his area, Senator Britt, Representative Jones, they are a socially conservative area. That is a socially conservative area. So him voting for House Bill 2 isn't that surprising if you think about his constituency. But if you're running in a congressional district, your constituency changes, and you're running in a Democratic primary, yeah. you have some things to take into account. Just a short game versus long game sort of situation.
0: So speaking of Congress, we heard a current congressman say that he might be willing to run for governor.
1: Representative Madison Gawthorne was at an event. I think it was at Western Carolina, and he mentioned that he didn't want to run for president, but he did want to run for governor. He could see himself being governor. He didn't
0: announce any timeline. All indications are that the current lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson, is running for governor. Let's just think for a second about what a primary would look like if Congressman Cawthorn decided to get in the race in 2024, what that primary would be like.
1: I don't think he can run in 2024 because our state constitution says that you have to be 30 to run for governor. So I don't think he could run until 2025. I'm not positive about that. Mm -hmm. However, if he were to run, let's say Mark Robinson became governor in 2024 and were to run in 2028, Potentially if that were a TV show, I would watch it
0: energy bill agreement is reached on Friday Last week, we were having lunch with Senator Paul Newton He was a guest of ours at the North Carolina Travel Industry Association We hear that this energy bill compromise has been reached and it all comes to a head this week Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, the drama was definitely throughout the week It started on Tuesday. The bill had some hearings over in the Senate. And in each committee, there were just lines of people ready to speak on the bill. Similar to medical marijuana, where you just had person after person coming up to speak on the bill. Some for it, some against it. But what's interesting was that there was this opposition to the final version of the bill when the governor signed off on this. And it was a compromise bill between the governor, Berger, and Moore.
0: So what does the bill do?
1: The bill sets out a plan to have Duke Energy achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. So it kind of ramps that up. What I will say is that we talked about this bill when the House version came out. The House version was about 50 pages long. This compromised version is about 10 pages long. As you can see, based on wordage alone, it is less prescriptive than the last version. It does allow those three year rate setting periods, which was in the first bill, but it allows the Utilities Commission to really make some determinations. Every couple of years, they can come back and see if they need to change things. It gives them a lot of the flexibility because it's their job. But the bill is much different than what we saw in the House.
0: The votes against it seem to be the most conservative members joining in with the most liberal members in each chamber. And voting no. Is that how you saw it as well?
1: That is what happened on both sides. I think the Senate, there were seven votes against it. And in the House, there were 20. We heard an impassioned speech from Larry Pittman on the House floor about how he hated the bill. And on the liberal side, you heard folks saying things like, it's not doing enough. And also there were some concerns about that rate setting and that impacting low-income folks.
0: It seemed to be a bill where there was a lot of drama on both sides, lobbyists everywhere Everywhere. (laughs) working on this bill. And you would think that there was going to be a tight vote just watching lobbyists pace back and forth. But the end it was it was really overwhelming and it's on to the governor
1: we went over we were on the senate side and we walked over to the house side right before house session was starting and there was just a line of gray suits outside of rules chairman Destin hall's office all these people lined up clearly to talk about that bill you could tell because they had the expensive suits on Mm -hmm. a lot of expensive (laughs) suits
0: a lot of expensive suits (laughs) The bill is on the governor's desk. It went by special messenger. It seems to indicate that there's some time sensitivity here, and the governor should be giving a signature to it forthcoming.
1: In honor of the State Fair coming back for the first time in a couple of years, which I truly missed, we had Representative Jimmy Dixon on the podcast. He gave some history of the State Fair and talked about his life. Such an intriguing man. If you can just start us off, tell us about your district. What do you think makes your district special? Where is it?
2: I appreciate being with you, and I love your logo, Do Politics Better. That's certainly a, a thing that I could support. We do have room for improvement, just a little bit. Of <laughs> We're not quite perfect yet. But I I represent House District 4, which is all of Duplin County, part of Onslow County. And, of course, uh Every crow thinks that their baby crow is the blackest. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I think that my district is special. We're number one, number two, in many of the agriculture statistics across the state. So we like to say that we feed ourselves and a lot of other people too. We have uh, Count Lejeune that's in part of my district and George Cleveland and Field Shepherd. And so food and freedom, (laughs) they go together well.
0: (laughs) I'd like to note that uh, I was born in Kenansville. Uh, Dr. Ray delivered me at at the Kenansville Hospital, and I I left Kenansville uh, eight or nine years old, and we moved away. But uh, if I was living in the house where I was born, uh, you would be my representative.
2: Well, how about that? I I knew you were uh,
0: from Duplin. Can, Can you talk about kind of the evolution of Duplin County uh, over the years, the interstate kind of going through when you stop at the rest stop in Warsaw, that is a big place for commerce. I remember when I-40 didn't go that far, uh, and that's brought good things and and maybe some challenges for the area.
2: It has. uh, Sometimes I like to quip that um, we talk about the rural-urban divide, and sometimes I say that the the worst thing that happened to rural north carolina is the bypass everybody wanted to get uh, somewhere fast and so the bypass became a very popular type of highway 50 years ago and it literally has bypassed a lot of our rural communities for good purposes but there's always two edges to the sword
1: can we go back to you growing up I believe you were born in Warsaw is that correct
2: just outside of Warsaw in a little community called friendship
1: can you kind of talk about your growing up and what inspired you to get into politics
2: yes I was born at home uh, in Duplin County in 1945 Um, I remember when it was a novelty to have turn signals on your car (laughs) Uh, The first person in the neighborhood that had turning signals uh, was quite the star of the show at Mm -hmm. that time. Born and reared on a family farm. My grandmother uh, reared me, as we were talking previously. My mother was a telephone operator and lived in town. She would visit us out in the country. One of my first jobs was trucking tobacco we still used mules wow. at that time our mules were babe and sally mm-hmm. and we had a horse and another mule that was a team champ and dinah mm-hmm. our dog was big boy <laughs> and so i i go pretty pretty far back as far as the reason i'm in politics i got angry anger is not a good reason to do anything and so my anger soon turned into concern. Uh, my initial involvement in politics was related to the increases in our property taxes mm. in Duplin County. And so I found myself back in 1998, 1999, 2000, encouraging my children to get as good an education as they could and get out of Duplin County. Mm. And one morning I met a gentleman in my mirror in the bathroom (laughs) and I said to myself, what in the world are you doing? You went to school, you were born and reared in Duplin County, you love this county and here you are trying to get your children to move out of the county. It was because of the good people of Duke and County providing you with a football uniform to play at James Keenan and win a state championship and get a scholarship to Wake Forest. Wow. Which is probably the only reason that you got a college education. So quit bitching, <laughs> shut up,
1: or
0: get involved.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So
0: I got involved.
1: Wow, what a cool story.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your career in farming certainly as i said before we grew up on a small
2: family farm we had about three and a half acres of tobacco, cucumbers peppers and vegetables was our mainstay my first floor speech in the general assembly after about two months uh, i informed my colleagues that the people in dukeland county had sent me to Raleigh to inform our urban friends that food did not come from the grocery store. Interestingly enough, I got some strange looks, like what in the world have they sent up here to make such a foolish statement as that? And then, Sky, over the next three or four weeks, many of the representatives came up to me and said, you know, Jimmy, I thought about your statement. We really don't think enough about our food supply because we've been so good at it. Mm -hmm. Everybody believes that tomorrow's dinner is on the grocery store shelves today. And so that's been sort of a byword or a catchword for me. And it's been very good so far. And I look forward to a few more years of that.
0: And you're known for taking representatives to your district and explaining to them i I know you've done some tours i've seen your social media you being an ambassador for rural north carolina has opened some eyes i've talked to some legislators and they appreciate just kind of understanding the process i think we take for granted every morning that you know four strips of bacon land on our plate but we don't know exactly where that started
2: exactly and a couple of years ago we put together a farm tour I think we had I believe it was thirty two or thirty six uh, representatives that went down, and we we took them right into the facility. Interestingly enough, one of the one of the first and most interesting questions that I had when we visited one of the swine farms took them right up next to the lagoon, uh, a legislator from the urban area said where's all the flies <laughs> <laughs> and where's this odor I keep hearing about now having said that there is there are certain conditions around livestock farming that are, that are not pleasant but i always try to get people to contrast what they think those are mm-hmm. with how breakfast smells. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of, uh, of difference there. So it was a very, very successful tour. People saw live little pokes, two day old chickens for the first time they'd ever seen them. 12,000 in one house. And they were very, very interested in it. We got a lot of good comments, we often hear about the rural-urban divide in a lot of different areas. In agriculture, that is the truth. Our urban friends who pay so much of our property taxes, so much of our income taxes, that we're able in, urban, in rural areas to benefit from the revenue produced in our urban areas but they don't know where their food comes from. And unfortunately, in the past decade and a half or two decades, certain trial lawyers from out of state have found lucrative opportunities in misrepresenting the agriculture community. And we can feed America. We can feed North Carolina but we can't do it from the courtroom. So that's been another theme of mine, is to try to introduce urban folks to the reality of what farming is all about. I won't call the name of the senator, but back when he was in the House, he really wanted to be on the agriculture committee. And uh, he was, well I shouldn't say this, you might identify him, he was a diamond salesman from New York. Mm. And one day, just joking, uh, I told the committee, such and such is here, a new member of our committee, uh, two weeks ago I gave him some Cheerios and told him that they were donut seed. <laughs> and everybody laughed. And then, of course, the punchline is that's not really the funny thing. He went home and planted them. <laughs> And I made him so mad; he wouldn't speak to me for about three or four weeks. I said, "Man, I was joking. It was just, it was just a joke." But really, folks in urban areas, they they really don't know where peanuts come from. That's right, uh, particularly in bacon and mm-hmm. livestock products. And so we've got many opportunities to mesh and learn more about each other. Yeah.
1: So. Along those same lines, what is coming up is the State Fair, and that is really a showcase of North Carolina agriculture. Can you talk about what you think that the State Fair means to North Carolina and maybe what your favorite part is?
2: Well, you know, the State Fair goes back to 1853. I didn't know that. And it was the North Carolina Agriculture Society Hmm. that started the first North Carolina state Fair it the the mission statement of, of the fair is interesting they operate those facilities out there as a tool to introduce people to the goods and services from the agriculture community to people all across North Carolina um, the it, it is it is an opportunity to showcase the uh, the different products, the contests that they have, um, is, I've forgotten now how many different things that people compete for blue ribbons and so forth. I think it's over 200. From the biggest pumpkin to the sweetest apples. Um, And they have committees that judge those things. Interestingly enough, since 2015, They've given out over $300,000 worth of scholarships wow. for young people who want to major uh, in agriculture. So it's 11 days of excitement and fun and rides and food and gives people an opportunity to socialize and come out. I hope that the focus continues to be on bringing our urban and our rural folks together with a better understanding of how we farm today. We don't do it with mules anymore. We're very high tech. We have combines that will turn themselves around when they get at the end of the road. We have programs in these combines so that when I'm picking corn, the computer system monitors my yield, sends it to the satellite, comes back to the program. So as I go back next year to fertilize on certain parts of the field, the equipment changes itself to automatically put more or less so that we're most efficient Mm -hmm. in the way that we fertilize and provide the nutrients for our crop. There's right now, I think, about 2,000 jobs Mm -hmm. available in the ag community, wow. that start at seventy thousand plus dollars.
0: People don't understand that. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. I noticed you use uh, rural-urban divide. I don't hear you say necessarily Democrat-Republican divide. And where I'm going with this is, um, Duplin County in particular has a long history of having leadership in the agriculture. Uh, committees at the General Assembly, Senator Charlie Albertson from Duplin County. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I I know you have a friendship with Senator Albertson that continues to this day.
2: Yeah, Charlie and I go way, way back. He's a couple, of few years older than I am, the singing senator. He was born and reared on a farm also and was very, very good as was Russell Tucker. That's right. Russell Tucker was the representative for that district prior to the time that that I came up. Both of them are still active. Both of them still support the agriculture uh, community in Duplin County and, and elsewhere. And so they sort of set the stage. I personally believe that the agriculture community now, and I've been told, has the best representation that it's ever had in the General Assembly. Senator Jackson and I have worked well together. Uh, We've had very few hiccups. He is a first-generation, very successful farmer. He and uh, Debbie, his wife, have a very good farming operation. Um, I was a livestock farmer. Turkeys were my main enterprise, okay. about seventy thousand, okay. seven hundred thousand a year, and so Brent and I had dirt under our fingernails and sometimes under our toenails. Back during some of the heated uh, legislation that we passed, trying to maintain and improve our right to farm laws, it was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty tough. And some of the issues were pretty, put a pretty good strain on you. And one day somebody asked me in a pretty difficult time, Jimmy, why are you involved in this? Why are you getting and and putting energy and effort in this? And I said, I'm not putting into it. It is in me. And it's in Senator Jackson and other people. In the General Assembly, William Brisson, that's right, uh, mm-hmm. Larry Strickland. Uh, so, we have a very good relationship with agriculture in the General Assembly. And when you talk about Steve Troxler, that's Jim right. Graham, Jim Graham set the table. Steve Troxler took it to an entirely different level, um, and we're known nationally for our expertise in agriculture. Much of that can be attributed to uh, Steve Troxler and Mm -hmm. the folks that he works with.
1: What is your favorite part of serving in the House?
2: Obviously the standard answer, which happens to be the truth, is the people. And a while ago, Brian, you were talking about Democrat and Republican. You know, box cornflakes um, doesn't care whether it's a democrat or republican that buys it you know uh it's sort of like uh, chet atkins said one time you know a good song don't care who sings it <laughs> and uh good farming practices good food really doesn't care who eats it and so i i don't spend a lot of time trying to identify differences between uh republicans democrat when it comes to to food and uh I've, I've never been able to detect the difference between a child crying, whether their parents are Democrat or Republican, and that's what it's all about, is the next generation. And if we thought about that more, I think we would do politics better.
0: I want to back up a little bit. You talked about your football career. You went to Wake Forest on a scholarship. Was it your plan to return to Duplin County and go into agriculture?
2: Absolutely not. I I remember when I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to Wake Forest during the Brian Piccolo era. Oh,
0: Brian's song, great. Um, Gail yeah. Sayers, too. Uh, he he went on to play with the Chicago Bears with Gail Sayers, yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, 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 a nice movie, Brian's Brian song. <laughs> uh, I would like to say that during the time I was there, we did beat Carolina three years in a row. Hey. So, um, no, I told my grandmother, I said, Granny, uh, probably won't be coming back to the farm. Mm. And so... I was fortunate enough to graduate from Wake Forest, uh, took a job teaching and coaching uh, for a couple of three years, and then the, the call came, uh, and I found my way back to the farm, and I'm glad I did. It's been a, it's been a very good life for me, and um, I did what I said I was not going to do when I went back, into the livestock business in Duplin County. We ended up growing about 700,000 heavy toms a year. Um, Interestingly enough, the first time I ever got on an airplane, Woody Durham was my seatmate.
0: Oh, wow. Wow.
2: He was the information director at Wake Forest when I first got there, and of course he was legendary for his announcing of the sports events at Carolina.
0: Any ambivalence about going to Wake Forest? And the reason I ask is because our family, we're all NC State fans because of NC State's connection to the agriculture community in Duplin County. Well, uh,
2: no, I I had never traveled very far out of Duplin County before I graduated from high school. I don't think I was prepared for the big University. I think it, when I went to Wake Forest, I think everything combined, law school, undergraduate, and graduate school, I think it was about 3,200. Oh, wow. And so it was a small uh, setting. Professors and students got along well together. That was compatible uh, with my fear of uh, uptown. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. What position did you play in football? I was quarterback in high school. Wow. We won the state championship in 1960. We beat NCSD, the school for the deaf and dumb. Okay. 13 to 12 in Morganton.
0: Okay.
2: Four degrees at the beginning of the game, two degrees at the end of the game. I've got some scars in certain places that I won't mention in this. They had little ridges on the field and it was like glass. If you got tackled wrong, it produced uh, some scar tissue. Yeah,
0: yeah. For our listeners, can you explain the uh, importance of the Agriculture Committee in the General Assembly and your chairmanship of that committee exactly? It kind of seems intuitive, but you're you're what your purview and your scope, what bills go through your committee?
2: Well, anything, anything, of course, related to agriculture. You know, there's a little bit of difference in the House and the Senate. The Senate is ag and environment. Mm-hmm. I've been lobbying for a few years to do the same thing in the House, but we haven't done it. The The agriculture committee, the most important thing is policy, particularly related to our right farm laws um, that are necessary in order to continue to have a good, economical, safe, sustainable supply of food. So anything that has to do with policy comes to the uh, Agriculture Committee. Senator Jackson always starts the Farm Act in the Senate. I've always yielded to him Uh, he has uh, some additional staff and so forth so we have an agreement he and he does it in a very excellent manner he starts the farm act and we usually try to keep it to no more than 12 issues people are getting a little bit uh, not in favor of huge Omnibus bills. Mm -hmm. They get uh, too complicated. But the work that we've done, when I came to the General Assembly, it was illegal to haul two round bales of hay side by side on a trailer. Really? And so from something that simple all the way to the amount of money that a plaintiff can get on punitive damages, which is very, very complicated from the simplest. Something as simple as the size of a road sign that advertises on farm, pick you on strawberries and stuff like that. We changed the law so that they could put a bigger sign up. Mm.
0: What do you think the number one challenge moving forward for our number one industry in North Carolina is, what's the thing that keeps you up at night when you think about the agriculture community? Um, biased
2: courtrooms. Okay. With urban juries Yeah. that do not understand. Uh, these decisions can affect uh, family farmers all across the state of North Carolina. We don't want special treatment. We want fair treatment. The weather's always going to be too hot, too cold, too wet, or too dry. It is regulations and the changing of the goal line, as far as agriculture policy is concerned, that stands the chance of being our greatest challenge. Yeah,
0: I worked on a farm in southern Wake County, grew up... uh, in high school, middle school here. And I remember the the gentleman I worked for said that as a farmer of chrysanthemums, he, he had to work in balance with the land and that he was he didn't consider himself an environmentalist, but he said in practicality he was, because he knew that if this was going to be a sustainable farm, he had to be in balance. You can't you can't overdo it, right? And and I don't think a lot of folks realize that. They don't. It's,
2: it's, it is miraculous. I remember my first introduction to agriculture. My gran- my grandmother reared me. And during the wintertime, she would take little styrofoam cups and she would put various seeds in it to grow and incubate in the house so that she could put them out in the yard in the spring. And she would always call me and say, You see how the ground is... Bu-? And I thought it was fascinating to see that dormant seed put into moist ground and then start growing. It was fascinating to me and I remain fascinated at what a magnificent creation this planet Earth is and how the necessary elements are there to sustain ourselves and other people also.
1: Our society is so polarized right now. If you could change one thing, if you had a magic wand to change one thing in our politics, what would it be?
2: I would push a button that would take the biased media and make them unbiased. Because the majority of the people get their information from someone else. And... I believe when I was growing up and I would watch Walter Cronkite, it was not perfect. Other media was not perfect. I believe that the media should report the news, but they produce it now. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between producing the news and reporting the news. I think an unbiased free press would improve everything, including politics.
1: I get my news from Twitter. I don't think that's biased. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, uh,
2: recently uh, I've quit watching national TV as much as I used to. I've actually found that the best place to get news is from the King James Version of the Bible. I hear you.
1: I thought you were going to say like a diner in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where yes. you go and you get you get the town news there.
2: Oh, yeah. that's, that's, that's a good place. And I hope the breakfast clubs and the, the diners uh, stay in business. But uh, that's the one thing I would change. And we just, we, we paint each other so differently than we are. Yeah. We don't know enough about each other. In the general assembly, that was one reason for the farm tours. Yeah and uh, as I've gotten to know members from both sides of the aisle, we have much more commonality than we do differences. We need to find, and you and I have had this conversation before, I mean look how divisive we are sometimes on K-12 education. That's right. Uh, I'll tell you a story. We were small family farmers. My grandmother supervised putting corn into the barn every year. We gathered our corn by hand. We had three different kinds of corn that we put in the barn. We had one corn that we fed to the livestock. The other corn we took to the mill on Saturdays to produce cash to buy store-bought groceries with. The other corner had the seed corn in it. And Granny's instructions were very clear. If the barn catches on fire, get the seed corn out first. Mm -hmm. That's K-12 education. And to be sure, we can be better with each other, Republican, Democrat, Independent, on K-12 education for our future's sake. So pick out areas that we should and can agree on and focus on them and leave the other stuff alone for a while. Yeah.
0: Wise words, Representative Dixon. Wise words. Well, Representative Jimmy Dixon, we so appreciate you coming on to the podcast. We appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the agriculture community in North Carolina. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you, sir.
2: Well, it's been my pleasure, uh, Ryan and Scott, to be with you. And I, I pray that the Lord will bless your efforts Extremely well. You have a lot to offer. Your voices are important, and I encourage you to continue to use them.
1: Thank you, sir. That was very nice. Thank you, sir. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information.
0: I could have talked to Representative Dixon for hours. What a fun interview that was. And I think we should let listeners know how this podcast interview came to be.
1: We were walking out of a committee room and we ran into Representative Dixon and he approached us and said, when are y'all going to have someone on the podcast who knows about food? And Brian said to him, will you come on the podcast? And he said, does a cat have a butt? (laughs) And that's how it happened. We were shocked that he listened to the podcast, to be honest. Yeah.
0: So one of the facts about Representative Dixon is that he commutes back to Duplin County every single day. And he informed us that he listens to the podcast every week and he enjoys it. And we were just so tickled of that conversation, but also very honored that he wanted to come on to the podcast and share his story. And he has a very compelling story. And he is such a kind man who knows a lot about agriculture, I might add. Mm -hmm. We had some sad news this week, Sky.
1: Representative Dana Baumgartner passed away on Saturday. Just really short stint with brain cancer. Yeah. And I think he deteriorated pretty quickly and just a really sad time. We've had a couple sitting members pass away this year. So it has been somber.
0: Yeah. Representative Baumgartner represented. Uh Part of Gaston County. He was a very kind man. I had the pleasure a few years ago of having dinner with Representative Bumpgardner, and he was so kind, so nice, so thoughtful. I really got to know him in that dinner, and I know he means a lot to the citizens of Gaston County. He was certainly well respected in his caucus. And I think without a doubt, anyone who interacted with him in the General Assembly on either side of the aisle would say that he was a gentleman who treated them with respect, and we are sorry for his loss. He will be missed.
1: Tweet of the week? Tweet of the week. Are you going to do the jingle? Oh,
0: yeah. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week.
1: All right. The tweet of the week this week, since we had Representative Dixon on the podcast, today in on the house floor when they were discussing the energy bill representative dixon got up and spoke and said first the tweet came from travis Fain quoting representative dixon on the energy bill quote i remember the day we got electricity in granny's house i was four years old we had two light bulbs and she better not catch both of them on at the same time (laughs) i should just say today's house debate there were plenty of things that could be quoted
0: Plenty. There were some words exchanged referencing a press conference that was this morning by the Freedom Caucus and some allegations of some voter irregularities, and there seemed to be this implication that uh, maybe Durham wasn't uh, up to snuff, and it got a little heated. And one of the legislators who stood up as some of the words were crisscrossing over the chamber was Representative Jimmy Dixon, who asked that we adhere to our rules specifically on civility. And it was much appreciated. Of course, also Minority Leader Robert Reeves also stood up with Representative Dixon right after he spoke and echoed those comments. It was um, well taken, well needed, and I think the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, who also made some references to the recent death of, of Representative Baumgartner, uh, trying to lower the temperature. Even though there were some sharp words today on the House floor, that was not the case on Tuesday night, right outside the General Assembly. We had our first ever Do Politics Better kickball game. So much fun.
1: It was a blast. I told you, it was more fun than I expected. We had such a good time, a great turnout, and just a really fun game.
0: Yeah, bipartisan, bicameral. We had lobbyists. We had staff. We even had just some listeners who showed up and played. I never heard any comments about partisanship or even legislation. It was just a lot of fun to see people playing a game really from our childhood that just lots of laughs.
1: We can't wait to do it again. We've had folks come up to us and say, like, when are we doing it next? And so we'd like to do it again before it gets cold. I are so grateful for everyone that came out, the folks that just came and watched. I think that added something to the game. I also want to note that there was no comment about legislation, you're right, or politics. But Carl did say... <laughs> It's not the tweet of the week, but maybe the quote of the week. We said, Carl, explain the rules.
0: Yeah. So Carl, Carl Gilmore, who, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know, we love Carl Gilmore. He is the legislative staffer for Representative Kelly Hastings and just a, a kickball beast. And so Carl wants to explain the rules to everyone. And he starts off by saying, "Okay, first rule is we start At zero to zero.
1: (laughs) 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 And then goes into, I think women should be able to steal bases. Like, you're done, Carl. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Carl got canceled on the whole uh, rulemaking for the kickball game, but he was a treat to watch. And we have photographs. On our Twitter, if you even go to the New Frame Facebook page, we did for about 30 minutes do a live uh, Facebook video, and you can see some of the some of the athleticism out there. But Carl was, was just so fun. Representative Allison Dahl was great. She started the game by kicking the ball and then falling and then crawling to first base. That was fun.
1: Yeah, it felt like it was not going to bode well for the rest of the game. Like, oh, no, the first batter... Yeah. Goes down. We're going to have a lot of injuries, but yeah. we didn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. John Bell, Majority Leader John Bell. He's he's out there in in some very colorful shorts. Uh, Senator Johnson uh, is is just a beast, of course. And and
1: actually, Senator lazara was quite scrappy
0: representative charlie miller yeah i mean anything that came his way it was caught he was turning double plays
1: no one was hustling like warren daniel though
0: senator (laughs) warren daniel that's right he and his wife lydia so competitive lydia's good lydia is good and uh watching senator daniel dive i mean face plant trying to catch balls was just a treat
1: I won't say that I saw him limping yesterday, but somebody might have seen him limping.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we want more of this. We've been talking to House Majority Leader John Bell, who, by the way, really got a lot of legislators there. He sent some emails out, and we want to make this a regular thing. I think we need more of it.
1: I agree. Not to say that we're fixing politics you know.
0: Yeah. But you know, it certainly doesn't hurt.
1: It does not.
0: Got a plan another one, and we'll make the announcement on the podcast.
1: I think that's all she wrote for this week. We will be back next week, hopefully with some uplifting news about the budget. And until then, feel free to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it at. Have a great week next week. We will be talking more about the State Fair next week, we're sure of it. And remember, while you're out and about, to do politics better.
2: State Fair is a great state fair. Don't miss it, don't even delay.
0: It's dollars to donuts that our state fair is the best state fair in our state.